You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Folks, we regret to inform you that I am the only American on this week's edition of the tracking the storm podcast that was your witty intro for today listen there's been no hockey i've got nothing what's going on everybody Welcome to another edition of the Tracking the Storm podcast. I am Matt. Brandon is out this week, but I am joined by Alex O'Hari, as well as scout for Smart Scouting, writer for the Charging Buffalo, and one of two good Buffalo Sabres fans, Paul Zook. Paul, how are you doing today? Matt, Alex, thanks for having me. It's a, it's a blast to come on and hopefully not relive the 2006 Eastern Conference finals that that was a very low point in my life and i'd rather not talk about it it's it's always funny because uh with my second podcast uh, um austin my other co-host he's also a sabers fan and he always tells me he's never gonna truly forgive me for that no like like, you know my eight-year-old matt had so much to do with that playoff run (laughs) yeah it's all your fault matt Uh, i know but Anyways, with the draft being next week, we figured we'd get to talk about some draft stuff because for for whatever reason this year, the draft is on a Thursday and a Friday. Usually it's like a Friday night and a Saturday morning. Um, But instead, good old ESPN gives us prime time on a Thursday and then Friday morning when nobody can watch it. So grow the game. Am I right? Something like that. Yeah, right. But anyways, the Hurricanes don't pick actually until pick 60 this year, which is kind of why I wanted to to bring Paul on here because in a draft that we've kind of described as sleepy, you know, what what's the mindset for teams you think going into this draft? Honestly, like looking at the last, I guess, like since COVID officially hit, I mean, a lot of these prospects, they really haven't had the greatest opportunities to showcase themselves. So if I were a GM, this would be the year that I'm kind of trying to take on as many picks as I can, because there's so many uncertainties surrounding a lot of these prospects in the draft that five years from now, we could be looking back as this, this could be one of the deeper drafts that we've seen in recent history. And I mean, there's just, like I said, there's so many uncertainties with a lot of players, like, and 
if you're not sold on somebody or if you are sold in limited viewings, I mean, like, why not try and have as many chances at the table as you can get, right? So, I mean, it, it, the way I look at it is it's it's too early to tell if it's going to go one way or the other, but, I mean, why not take the shot? Yeah, and it, it seems like in leagues, especially the CHL this year, a lot of the players in those leagues are a lot more raw than they usually are. Um just because, uh, I mean, the QMJHL had a full season, but it was paused and then back on, and then they had like a three-month break last year. The WHL played 24 games, which really isn't that many games to develop players, and then the OHL didn't have a season at all. So, you know, a lot of these players are really getting their first full season in the CHL, if not little, you know, pieces of a previous year. Yeah, you're so right. And I mean, like a lot of the players, obviously there was a handful from the OHL that were able to go over um, and play overseas or down south or wherever the, the location may have been. Um, but those are so few and far in between. And a lot of players, they were even struggling just to find any open ice to play in, like just to, you know, keep up their their game pace. And it, it, it's it's heartbreaking, obviously, for those kids to lose such a crucial development year. But I mean, a lot of them did come back this year and they played as if, you know, they had a lot to prove. So it was, it was nice to see from a play perspective this year, but it kind of sucked for them as far as development goes, having to miss that or most of, if not the whole season. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a step forward too, that these kids actually got to play the full year this year. Right. I mean, you you saw a lot of guys in 2021 draft where, you know, a lot of these guys didn't get to put the tape up that they wanted because of the COVID stoppages. And, you know, a lot of kids actually even lost the full season. So it's kind of back to normal a little, I guess, a little more than last year. You know, like Matt said, it's on a on a Thursday. So, you know, kind of one step forward, one step back kind of thing. But, I mean, we take what we can get. There's always the chance that somebody sees that the NHL draft is on and is like, oh, hey, you know, I'll check it out. But, you know, I think on a Thursday night, you're not exactly – uh making new fans especially after the excitement that was i don't know man this just sucks <laughs> there's why a thursday <laughs> night um so paul obviously i mean i know this but you know the the listeners might not you covered correct me if i'm wrong just the ohl and ushl this year right yeah so there, i covered the kind of like southeastern ish U- uh o- ohl so i covered teams like erie um Niagara, Hamilton, Mississauga, uh, that kind of area. And then, yes, the, the USHL and the National Team Development Program. Right, because I forget they're technically separate. It always trips people out this time of year when people are like, wait, why is this player's like stats doubled on elite prospects? And shit like that. Okay. It's honestly something that like when I'm when I'm looking up, you know, a player, a certain player's stats or whatnot, I have to do a double take too. And I'm into this for a couple seasons now. So, I mean, it's it's not something that like the casual fan would, would know. And like, even like I said, as myself doing this for a couple seasons now, I still catch myself like, wow, he had that many points. And then I have to, <laughs> to kind of backtrack. So I don't know if anyone ever loses that. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, a, a common saying on this podcast is points equals good. And so, I mean, the NTDP players with those stats would all, would all be first round picks, obviously. Um, so I do want to talk about, you know, the, the national team development program in particular this year, because obviously, you know, 
it started off as one of those years where we really weren't sure what the national team would kind of produce in terms of the top players. And then over the course of the season, obviously Logan Cooley established himself. We're now hearing Cutter Gauthier. But um, who's a player from that team that you think could be a lot better than maybe people are giving him credit for? Right? There's a lot of aspects or a lot of areas, sorry, that you could go in that, in that aspect. I mean, obviously you're going to have like Frank Nazar and, and Logan Cooley at the top. And then obviously guys like Cutter Goche um, on forward. There's one name that I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how he kind of continues to develop. And that's Jimmy Snuggerud. I mean, you look at his shot, it's elite. And he put it on full display in the BioSteel All-American game where he ripped home that first, first goal for Team Blue. There's so much to like about his game offensively. And what the uh, national team development program prides themselves on is building 200 foot hockey players. So there's not a player that goes into there and comes out of there. That's, you know, only uh, specific to offense or only specific to defense or whatnot. Every player that they turn out of that program knows how to play a 200 foot game. And I think it really benefits the players as they move on to whether it's the NCAA, whether it's professional hockey overseas, or if it's straight to the NHL, I really am interested to see how he performs next season. Um, he's headed off to Minnesota and I genuinely think that he could arguably start pushing some of the guys in terms of when we look at it, you know, maybe five years from now, who's the best forward to come out of that team this year. I think he's definitely going to put himself in contention um, to be up there with the likes of Cooley and Nazar and, and Goche as well. Um, and even on defense, I mean, you could probably look at a guy like Lane Hudson. I mean, teams might be a little, you know, scared, so to speak, of his size, but what he lacks in size, he brings in game. That guy can play amazing <laughs> in the in the defensive zone. He's calm, cool, collected. There's just so much to like about his game. And like I said, he plays that 200-foot game. He's just as good, you know, taking care of all of his defensive assignments as he is at providing offense. So those would be two names that I would I'd like to keep an eye on moving forward. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Cutter Gauthier pretty quickly. Um, I just got to ask you, I'm from Ottawa. Um, should I be mad when Ottawa drops him at number seven? Because I, it's pretty obvious it's going to happen, right? <laughs> well, if you look at recent history, yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely a great spot for him. I, I wouldn't be mad at it. I mean, you look at a player like Tyler Boucher in his own right. He's a great player, but unfortunately, with being selected that high last year, He's never going to live up to that. And I think that kind of is going to be a, a deterrent to how he really develops. Um, but when you look at somebody like Cutter Goche, I don't think it's the same boat. I mean, if you look at Bob McKenzie's rankings released today, he had him at number five overall. So, I mean, wow, really? Eh? yeah, it really depends on who you talk to and how many viewings that they've seen of him. I've caught a lot of his games this year. He's one of my favorite players in the entire draft next to guys like Logan Cooley and Frank Nazar. Um but when I look at Cutter Goche, I mean, you're getting a hell of a hockey player. He's like I said, he's another one of those 200 foot players. He's a guy that can bring physicality. He's a guy that can bring a lot of offense. He's a guy that can bring a lot of skill, a lot of playmaking. And he's not afraid to, you know, get into the dirty areas and play gritty. And that's you're basically getting a very, very, very talented power forward. And I mean, like what NHL team couldn't use that? Would it be more of a Senator's pick to pick Gauthier or Connor Geeky seventh overall? <laughs> That's Jeez. an interesting question. <laughs> I would both prob- seem pretty, pretty likely. 
Yeah, I mean, like, Geeky is one of those players, again, who he's just – it. you see it a lot, obviously, this year, like we've already spoken about with so much fluctuation. But Geeky's somebody who a lot of people have him in their, like, top 10, 12 picks, or he's, like, tail end of the first round. There doesn't seem to be that in between. Um, I can definitely see him going high, but I can also definitely see him going low. So, I mean, it's really just going to depend on how the NHL GMs view somebody like Connor Geeky. And if he can work on his skating, then, hey, maybe there's something there. I feel like if the Sens keep the pick, like in all seriousness, it's probably going to be like Kemmel or something because, you know, they need a couple more undersized forwards. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I just feel like he's a guy. They're just going to build an entire team that's big. Michelle's <laughs> <laughs> um, so going seven? <laughs> yeah. 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 Michelle's going seven. Uh, they're going to pick um, – who's the Russian guy? It's like 6'6". Six, six. God, I can't think of his name. Dolzhenkov, I think is, I think oh. it, yeah, I think that's who it is. Um, they're going to pick him with their second and they're just going to have an entire team full of just, you know, tree trunks. <laughs> um, so obviously I know Kingston's not like exactly your area, but I do want to talk about Shane Wright because you mentioned Bob McKenzie's list and really surprisingly, actually, he ranked your Slavkovsky number one and Bob's list is usually what? pretty much in line with the scouts. So I'm very curious to see what the reasoning might be behind that. I mean, when you look at the amount of games that Slavkovsky, Slavkovsky's, eh, sorry, words, um, has played internationally this year, and obviously those games are going to be on a higher um, importance level as far as um, getting noticed, I'd say than somebody playing in like the Finnish league, of course, or wherever he's Slovakian league. Is it? I'm yeah. drawing a total blank. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, he, yeah, played he played for TBS. TBS. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not losing my mind then. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> I can avoid that doctor's appointment for one more day. <laughs> um, but in all honesty, I mean, like people blow international statistics out of the water. Like how many times do we see each year that a player comes into the world juniors, absolutely tears it up. And all of a sudden now they're in the top 10 conversation when before the, before that tournament happened, they were like, you know, late first round. It, it's, it's one of those inevitable things that happens. Um, that being said, Slavkovsky's a hell of a hockey player. And I think he's going to make some team in the top five, extremely happy. Um, but if it's me doing the rankings, Shane Wright's still number one. I mean, the type of game that that guy brings is so few and far between. He reminds me actually a lot of Sidney Crosby when, like, the game that he plays now. So it's like he does so much stuff that doesn't show up on a stat sheet and that you can't necessarily correlate with, um, with, with points or with a number. And I don't think that Slavkovsky has that in his game yet. I think it's definitely a potential that he could develop in the seasons to come. But I just like I understand why McKenzie w- may have went that way, but for me, it's still Shane Wright number one. Yeah, do you think um, you know because Slavkovsky he played you know just looking at his at his yearly spreadsheet here he played seven games at the Olympic Games. Remind you, he actually looked pretty fantastic, all things considered. Uh, as a teenager, there he scored seven goals, seven games. Um, he played another three games in the qualifying, which is whatever. He played eight games at the World Championship. I mean, do you think him playing on kind of these national stages where, you know, you kind of got more casual fans watching as opposed to any hardcores who might really follow Shane Wright in the OHL more religiously, do you think that's kind of a factor in why Slavkovsky is getting a little more hype now as opposed to, you know, Wright, who's kind of a guy you've kind of had to go more out of your way to watch? 
Yeah, I, I definitely think that his performances, which is definitely not a bad thing for his case, um, have kind of, I don't want to say inflated because inflated is not the proper word. I mean, he's definitely deserving of where he's being ranked. Um, but I, I can honestly say that I think it does play a bit of a factor um, it, it, with the casual fan as well. Um, because obviously if, if you only, you know, follow, you know, the guys on TSN or Sportsnet or whatnot, whoever's doing these rankings, you're going to take their words for gospel because you might not be um, as in-depth or, you know, have as much knowledge behind the fact of who's ranking who and why they're ranking them there. So I could definitely see where, like, the casual fan would see that and be like, oh, yeah, he's a better player. But Do I you guess think it's... that Slavkovsky is more NHL-ready? But right is like so. Follow me along. Like Slavkovsky right now is probably more NHL ready and will be able to step into a role and maybe adjust a little more seamlessly. But right will end up being the better player. That might be a fair assessment at this point. I mean, obviously the positions are different. Center in the NHL is a f- far and away more difficult position to play than wing. Um, there's just so much with the center position as you progress in your career that is expected of you and that you're um, sort of relied upon to kind of take care of. And I don't necessarily think Shane Wright in the NHL next season would be a bad thing. I think he's definitely capable of it, but projectability right now. Yeah. I think Slavkovsky might be a little better suited to the NHL game um, just based on positioning. And I think he could like, for example, if he gets selected with Montreal, he could easily play in anywhere up and down the top nine. And I think he'd have a lot of success. It just depends on how much they'd want to shelter him if he were to pick. The thing that I'm also thinking of is Slavkovsky is four inches taller than Shane Wright. Played in the men's league, obviously played at all those tournaments. But, you know, so obviously the size is going to play a factor. And, you know, most people who listen know that I'm a big believer in the fact that size does not equal a player's skill at all. So are you thinking that maybe some teams that are maybe like talking to Bob are like, yeah, this kid's good because he's big. And then the second thing is, do you see Slavkovsky as a center because he barely played it this year, if at all? Yeah, I mean, I, what, I'll answer the center question first. I see him as a winger in the NHL. I think his game's better suited there. Um, like you said, that size aspect is, is definitely something that teams might look at and think that, oh, yeah, because he's, you know, this size, he's supposed to do this and that and, and whatnot. But I don't necessarily believe in the uh, philosophy of changing a player's skill set based on, you know, a physical attribute. I don't think it's the smartest idea. You should always just let the player play to what got them there. So trying to change them doesn't really make much sense because you're not selecting them for that. Then you're selecting them for this, you know, other role that that you want them to play. So when I look at Slavkovsky, I see his size and I'm like, yeah, he's able to use that to his advantage and he can blow past defenders on the wing. Why not keep him there? Right. It's it's a weird debate because, I mean, I think part of the reason why I think it's weird is Shane Wright has been the consensus number one overall pick in this draft since before. For like the last two years now. Yeah, I was going to say that literally the, the, the entire years, really process of this draft. In the OHL draft, people were already starting to talk about him. So I'm also kind of wondering if it's uh, like we're just all sick of talking about Shane Wright. <laughs> Um, Just trying to stir the pot at this point. Well, because I think when at at a certain point, you know, when you get tired of hearing about a player, you start looking for flaws in their game. 
and you start getting overly critical. Like that's what I did with Kevin Korchinski early on this year where I've just heard about him so much uh, for, you know, a little while, I just didn't see it because I watched a few bad games. Then after that, I watched a lot of good games and just didn't want to accept that he was a good player because I was sick of hearing of him, you know? Yeah. So I feel like Wright is an even bigger case of that because we've been hearing about Shane Wright for three years now. Yeah, that's a fair assessment. I mean, like, like you said, if you hear the name enough, obviously there's going to be that microscope under his game to kind of nitpick and find things that you don't like just for sake of conversation. Um, And I guess you can say that his start this year in the OHL wasn't necessarily what you'd expect of a consensus number one overall pick. I mean, he struggled for the first probably five, six weeks of the season before he finally got it into high gear. But once he turned it on, I mean, there's no denying that he's the best player at the moment in this draft. I mean, you, you look at what he can do with the puck on his stick and even what he can do without. I mean, you can overanalyze this game all you want, but you can't deny that there's just an ungodly amount of talent that he possesses. So, yeah. And he missed last year. He didn't play internationally. It, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's another thing. Like there's just so many uncertainties with so many good players missing out on such crucial development seasons. I mean, like, yeah, it's just, it's, it's honestly heartbreaking. And I know it seems like small potatoes compared to what's gone on in the world the last three years, but it would have been very interesting to see what everybody would look like right now, having played a full season last year. Before Matt, Alex, and Paul get any further along, Tracking the Storm is a proud part of the Hockey Podcast Network. So we're going to take just a quick second and get a word from DraftKings. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash it in. You can throw down on all the major action of baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with the same game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options are endless. That means the next time you see me getting mad over a Braves game, see what the live odds are. See if there's something you can bet on right then and there. Just judge my temperament on Twitter that day, and you'll be able to tell which way to go with your bets. Maybe you can use my misery as a little chance for yourself to make some money. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, and you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code THPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See the show notes of wherever you catch our podcast for some important details. Now back to the guys, and I will see you all next week. All right, if you guys don't mind... uh... Maybe we can switch course a little here and, you know, we are a hurricane centric podcast. So (laughs) I feel like we need to, we need to talk about the hurricanes a little. How can we make this about the canes? (laughs) How can we make this about the canes? Right. I mean, so I did the research today um, for an article I'm working on doing a little mock draft kind of thing. Um, This is actually the first year since 2006 that the hurricanes are set to go into the draft, like to, to draft day without a first round pick. Um, you know, they didn't pick in the first round last year, but they obviously traded out on the draft floor 2012. They traded out to get Jordan Stahl. Um, so yeah, it's kind of loses like the draft kind of loses a little bit of its mystique, I think for Hurricanes fans this year, because they're not picking all the way till pick 60, you know what I mean? And 
that's that's diehard range by the time you get there. Um, you know, looking back to last year, they trade out of their first round. I, I think they had pick 27 or something close to the end anyway. Um, get pick 40 and 51. And they took 44. Scott Morrow at, was it 44? They had 40, 44, and 51. And Morrow, Himasalmi, and then uh, Koivinen. 44 was from the Jake Bean trade. Yeah, that's right. So they get 40 and 51 from trading out of the first round. Um, they took defenseman Scott Morrow and Hemo Salmi with those picks. You know, at this at this stage, I if they had taken Morrow at 28, considering the season that he just had with 13 goals, 33 points um, as a defenseman for UMass, UMass Amherst, 37 games. I mean, as a as a rookie defenseman in that league, man, I if if they had taken him at 28, I think at this point you would probably be okay with it. You know, um, but yeah, no first round pick last year. Obviously, this year their first round pick goes to Montreal for Yesberry, Kotkaniemi, and you know it's kind of gonna we're gonna have to wait and see how that one turns out. I think you know considering where their pick is gonna land, making that trade for like a guy with Kotkaniemi's upside, I think it makes sense. You know, I think it's a gamble you take every time, but the big question is: is he gonna live up to the eight-year term that they just gave for him. You know, that's kind of the bigger dilemma now. Um, but, you know, that leaves the Hurricanes with no picks in the first 60. Well, I guess they picked 60th. So they have no picks in the first 60. They haven't had a first-round pick in the last two years now, um, unless something drastic happens between now and the draft day. How worried are you about that, Matt? Not. <laughs> um. I'm not worried because the Hurricanes still have a ton of young players on their team. And, I mean, you just mentioned Scott Morrow, Vili Koivinen, and Alexi Himasalmi. I'd throw Jack Drury in there. Um, Pyotr Kochekov is still, you know, he's only 23. You know, they have a good group, a good crop of young players and prospects in the system already where the future of the team is already pretty set for the next five years. So this draft is just a good opportunity to add, you know, a bunch of good, but not maybe not great prospects, but at least like good ones. Um, Cause I mean, Paul, I'll bring him in here. You've been watching the draft this year and, you know, watching these players, you know, there's still value to be had at pick 60. I mean, we've got players, you know, like Matt's Lindgren has been ranked at the end of the second round. Um, I've done my homework on him. Trust me. Uh, uh, <laughs> I just made him crack up. I think he's muted, but um, <laughs> no, he's trying he's not to died. laugh. His his face is so red. Oh. <laughs> if, if you know, you know. Uh, that's funny. Yeah, that's that's gonna be an inside <laughs> joke for this for this pod. Um, and I already lost my train of thought. Um, you also have uh, guys like Isaiah George from the W or from the uh, OHL this year, um, who is a player that you know has pretty steadily risen up the rankings, in my opinion. Uh, is there anything you can really say about George, or was that not your area? It wasn't necessarily my area, but I mean, in passing, obviously, I caught him a few times. There's a lot to like about Isaiah George's game. I think his, I think he's versatile enough where he can make it 
to be that kind of like bottom four pairing defenseman. Uh, I know he brings a lot of physicality. Um, I don't necessarily know at this point how his offensive skills are going to project at the next level. Um, but I'll be, like, I can see him, I believe he's eligible for another one, at least, if not two OHL seasons. And everybody pretty much in the Ontario Hockey League, or CHL for that matter, almost outside of like Shane Wright's pretty much going back to their respective teams next season. So, I mean, they're going to get that extra year of development that I think a lot of them are desperate for. Um, but as far as George goes, I mean, he wouldn't be a bad depth pick at all. Um, one thing that I am almost for certain on is everybody's draft boards are going to be completely different. And unfortunately, until the actual draft rolls around and picks start coming off the board, we're really not going to have the greatest uh, insight into who's going to be left. Like there's a very good chance that a lot of teams will have somebody like 15th on their board. that's going to be available in the late second or early third round. Um, so it's kind of just going to have to be one of those things where teams play it by ear. So depending on how you have your board set up or who your scouts or your GM might think that, you know, this, you know, player A is going to be amazing, but you know, the next GM thinks, you know, that same player is nowhere near worth the second or third round pick. It's going to be very interesting to see who's available when the Canes come up to the pick at 60. Yeah. And the thing with the hurricanes is, you know, over the past few years, since the, the Waddell regime really came in, they haven't, I mean, they've shown that, they aren't really afraid to draft anybody, you know, regardless of whatever concerns scouts or, you know, avid viewers might throw out, whether it's the player being undersized, whether it's the player maybe being a step too slow, maybe, you know, a couple character concerns and, and such. I think they feel that, you know, when they go up to the draft board, whoever is the best player on their board, they're going to pick. They don't really, it, it seems anyways, like that they don't, you know, they, they don't really remove anyone from their boards where another team might be, okay, you know, we don't want to draft this player because we don't have any faith in a five foot seven, 150 pound forward going into an NHL role. Um, and where the Hurricanes, they've selected guys like that, you know, guys like Alexander Passion, who some scouts had as a top 50 talent in the 2020 draft and the Hurricanes, you know, get them with their last pick. Um, and, you know, I, I think, I think that kind of gives them a bit of a competitive advantage because you're basically picking from an entire crop of players where, you know, some, there's always going to be a couple, a couple of gems that fall through the cracks, you know, a guy like Johnny Godro, no one wanted to take a chance on him. Finally, fourth round came around and there you go. And, you know, the rest is history. And I think, you know, there could be a few guys in this draft where who kind of fit that mold. I mean, they, they're available in every draft. Um, I kind of pegged my two guys so far as, Brandon Lazowski, I'm not sure how, how Matt over here is going to feel about that one. And uh, Antonin Vero from the QMJHL, but I think I might be a little biased on that one. I like Lazowski. I think that he's probably going to fall into rounds five through seven because he's so small and doesn't get to the middle of the ice. Um, he's a good player, and... Um, he can score at will. I mean, he's got a hell of a shot. But the rest of his game is just kind of eh. And so you're kind of banking on a small player with goal scoring ability, but not much else other than pace of play to get to the NHL. So it's a, a long shot, and that's why I think he'll fall. Isn't it risk-free to try and take a guy like that that late, though? 
and see oh, if yeah. he can I develop mean, at it. That point you know in what the draft, I mean? You're looking for upside. I'm just exactly. saying, like, that's why he's going to fall as opposed to, like, would I draft him at that range? Sure. Yeah. Probably not until that range, though, if that makes sense. Paul, who are your players that you like, like, end of the second round type? Is Devin Kaplan going to fall that far? I mean, speaking as a Saber fan who's going to have like an early 70s pick, I'd love to see him fall that far. But unfortunately, <laughs> I don't think he makes it there. I think you're probably going to see Kaplan go somewhere between like 35 and like 42-ish in that kind of ballpark, like a early to mid-second rounder. I think there's just so much there with his, his combination of size, speed, talent, but in the offensive and defensive zones. I think there's a lot to like there. Um so it, like if I'm the Canes and I'm selecting it at 60, I've never believed in the philosophy of drafting for need because I feel like you end up reaching and you end up sacrificing taking the best player available. And like, regardless, if you have four young, good centers on your roster, I mean, there's worse problems to have in the world <laughs> and you're always available to deal those for whatever you may need at the time. So I'm of the mind where you're taking the best player available on your draft board, regardless of position. Um, so a couple names that I might look at at 60 for the Canes if I'm there. Um, I think you could give an eye on Julian Lutz, uh, the German winger. I think he kind of didn't really get the greatest shake of things earlier this season because he's been hurt for a long time and he kind of came back a little sluggish. But last season he looked really, really dominant. And I can honestly say that I think I think he gets back to that form sooner rather than later. And I think Teams might be a little weary to select somebody like him who missed a lot of time with injury, but it's still too early to tell. Um, another name that I might be looking at in in terms of the Canes pick at 60s, maybe somebody like Gulf Storm Centerman, Danny Jilkin. I mean, there's a lot of offensive power there. Um, I think he'd bode well, not only with the prospect pool that the Canes have at the moment. I know they're pretty set on centers with guys like Jack Jury and whatnot, but I think Jilkin could potentially play wing at the next level. I mean, I like him as a center, don't get me wrong, but I believe his offense is is, is suited to somebody who might be a little better playmaker on the, at center, potentially dishing the puck off to him on the wing. Um, so those are a couple guys that I would probably target. Um, but then again, I mean, I could have somebody that I personally have ranked at like 24. He could be available at 60, and then at that point, yeah, you got to pull the trigger, right? I was going to say that player in this draft, and when Scott Wheeler was on this podcast, he mentioned Lane Hudson as well. I think that player is going to be Lane Hudson this year just because no team wants to take a 5'8 defenseman other than the Hurricanes, it seems. <laughs> I've, I've never really understood. I understand to an extent, but I really don't why teams are so afraid to take undersized forwards. I mean, especially as of late. Like, you look at guys like Braden Point. You look at guys like Alex DeBrinkett. These guys Was Hudson a forward? What's that? Is Hudson a forward? I've been calling it a defenseman the whole time. No, no, no. He's a defenseman, but I'm just oh, saying. Like, oh, I'm oh, just oh, using oh. undersized. Like, gotcha, gotcha. I was like, oh my god, no. <laughs> no, no, no. He is a defenseman. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> but you just look at these like this group of like undersized players that have came up through the draft and been picked over. Like, like um, Alex said, Johnny Goudreau, for example. They have so much talent, but teams are only passing on them because oh, he's five eight or oh, he's five six or whatnot. If you can play, you can play. I don't care how big you are. I don't care how small you are. And it's pr been proven so many seasons. I mean, how many solid years has Point had for Tampa? How many solid seasons has DeBrinkett had for Chicago? Like, you look at these players and it's like they were draft, they're considered draft steals because of their size. And like, 
if I'm an NHL GM or an I'm a scout, I'm really not paying attention to size as much as I am if they can play the game. So, I mean, I can definitely see Hudson falling for that exact reason, but I would love to be the team that ends a slide if that does end up happening. <laughs> I got to ask you, what do you, what do you think of uh, Trikas off for the Hurricanes at 60? That's an intriguing question. Uh, there's a lot of people that think he should go top 10. <laughs> Depending I, on who I you know. I, I see him ranked all over the board. You know <laughs> what I mean? You see him in the first round. You see him in the third. You see him all over the place. Where do you think he goes? <sighs> Gleb is an enigma wrapped in a conundrum, that guy. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I can honestly see him going somewhere in the late first, depending on how bold uh, a front office wants to be. But I could definitely see this year, obviously, with what's going on in Russia and the Ukraine and whatnot. I can see a lot of Russian prospects potentially slipping. So, I mean, he very well could be up for grabs in the third. Um, but right now, I mean, it, it's so hard to pinpoint any player outside of like Logan Cooley, Shane Wright, and Uri Slavkovsky going anywhere in some combination of the top three. It's it's basically just a crapshoot after that. So that, that actually reminds me. Um, Alex, I, I don't know if you saw this, but I did like a mock draft today. And I no, posted it on yeah, Twitter. Yeah. Um, so I kind of wanted to go through it and get Paul's takes on every pick. If that's cool, Paul, this is your opportunity to roast me. Like, <laughs> so uh, did you don't you, get very this is many your personal chances. mock drafts or is it like a simulation? So I, it was like a simulation. I used like draft pro hockey just because I like the way there's runs. Because okay. after a while with future considerations, it stops ranking. Like after a hundred, it like stops ranking players. And teams just start picking random people in the simulation that you've never heard of. You've got guys from like Kazakhstan going like 112th overall. And, you know, so. Your first pick is that rankings. kid from the WHL that you just can't stop talking about. No, it. What's his name? I, What's his name again? Marcus Wen. That's him. Yeah. He was picked, but not till two. <laughs> we'll get to that in a bit. So at 60th, I picked Elias Salomonson. Just for a quick little bio for everybody that's listening, if I can spell it right, I want to. I always want to put the M before the O and call him Sanninson. So he's a right handed defenseman that's 6'1, 183. Late birthday in this draft, he's only in August 31st. Um, most people have him ranked somewhere in the middle of the second. There's a few people that have him in the first. Jesus, Puck Authority has him a 15th overall. Um, but he's a good value. Yeah. Playing with AIK. Um, he definitely fell a bit, but this is a player that has some offense to his game. And I think he could be a good player. And especially in that draft, he was absolutely the best player available. I'm just trying to remember where I have him ranked in mine. Uh, so mine are back from March. I haven't done an updated set and I don't know if I'll get the time to do it before the draft. I had him at 33, but like you said, Matt, um, he has kind of, I don't want to say he's tapered off, but a lot of the prospects I find that have fallen on a lot of scouts lists um, or organizations lists, it's not necessarily any of their doing. It's just players around them having insane seasons. So, I mean, like if, if there's a huge fall, odds are it's probably not based off play. It's probably just based off people that were in a similar range. Right. Um, like one name that comes to mind is uh, Jagger Furcus. 
he's absolutely after the top prospect game he went off in the whl and he exploded like there's people putting him in like the late teens of the first round and i'm just like well that's incredible i don't know if i'd take him there i love the player but i might not like him that high yeah um, but as far as salamonson's considered i mean yeah I, he is a super super young birthday i mean he only missed the cutoff by what was it maybe two or three weeks yeah he's august like 31st yeah, so I mean, like, you look at somebody like that, he's definitely younger, he definitely has a lot of time to further develop on his hands. Um, but in terms of value, I, I, I think that's a solid selection. Yeah. So, Alex, this is why I was like, you know, speaking of my mock draft, I, I picked Gleb at 71. Um, Gleb Trikazov. So, I think that's a great pick, especially given the Canes. I feel like they'd be happy with that. They're a team that takes advantage of other teams not taking players, essentially. Like, he's, other than maybe Vladimir Grenadin, Grudinin, Vladdy Gruds, uh, <laughs> that's probably the only other Russian player where I'd be like, this would be a really shrewd move by the Kings if that happened. Yeah, I mean, like, when I look at things like that, I'm definitely looking not only for value, but for for fit, too. And, I mean, I could definitely see uh, Gleb fitting in with the Canes prospect pool very well. And then at 124, I had Devin Kaplan, even though I don't know how he fell that far. I guess whoever at the the draft, whatever, uh, I guess they're not fans of his game. I mean, that would be insane if he fell that far, but... I mean, in terms of like just speaking in the mock draft, yeah, that's incredible value at that yeah, point. Yeah, right. I was like, I saw his name available. I was like, ooh, okay. I probably <laughs> yeah, it's one of those picks that makes itself. I probably shouldn't have done that just because like it's not realistic at all, you know. But, yeah, but I mean, that's the whole point of a mock draft. Yeah, you gotta have I mean, fun, it was right? fun. It was fun. Um, Next, though, at 156 is uh, Tucker Robertson from Peterborough, overager in this year's draft. I liked him because he was at the prospect showcase down in Tampa for the Canes. And I saw, you know, he's quick, good decision maker, pretty good passer. And I think he's a good shooter just from what I've seen this year. But, um, Paul, do you have any takes on him? I do. I have a lot of takes on him. Oh. Oh, boy. They're not bad. He is one scrappy, physical, thorn-in-the-side player that I think – I don't know when. I think he will make the NHL in some capacity. But I sat – I went to pretty – I went to both home games in the first round of the OHL playoffs when they were facing off against Hamilton. And he was just a nuisance. Every chance that he got to absolutely plaster somebody from Hamilton into the boards or an open ice, he did. After every single whistle – He's getting chippy, he's hacking, he's trying to get into their heads. Peterborough knew going into that series that they probably weren't going to fare very well, and he did everything in his right to just be an absolute pain in the ass. And he played it so well. And I, that was one thing I took from that series outside of Hamilton dominating. That was just, wow, this kid is just a nightmare to play against. He's the one kind of guy you see coming down the wing and just like, churning his legs and you're you know as a defenseman going back to retrieve that puck that i'm gonna play the puck here and i'm probably gonna end up paying the price for it and i don't want to anymore like after the first couple of shifts you you deal with that it's just like okay like go away like i i don't even have a comparable to him but 
like a Jameson Reese type almost but more physical oh wow Mm. like I don't know if it was just because it was the playoffs and he's the he's an overager and you know last kick at the can type thing but he was just he seemed angry (laughs) but uh no Matt like what you described about his game you pretty much hit the nail on the head um if he can bring that exact stuff that you say he brought at prospect camp into kind of like whatever organization he gets selected into in this case in your mock draft it's the canes if he can bring that into the kings you know kind of system i think it'd be a great selection yeah they need guys like him then and especially since i mean you know it's it's 156 he's more than likely a winger at the nhl level just because of his size and the fact that i think he played wing most of the year but at that point in the draft, you're look, again, you're looking for players that can play in the NHL, and he has those tools. So that's why I kind of picked him. I did have a soft spot because I did like him at that prospect camp. It helps because I don't get very many in-person viewings of players. That's really the only time I get, in, uh, I get in-person viewings, so I pay attention to those camp invites. But uh, I, I actually enjoyed watching him play. Um, 171 and... If you read my Canes Country thing, you know I wasn't a fan of Pelivin in the second round. But at 171, I liked Alexander Pelivin. He was a very sleepy player for me. I actually nodded off while watching one of his games, and I felt kind of bad. Um, it was like 10 o'clock at night. I'd worked all day. I'm sitting here trying to crank out this report, and he's just boring, man. Boring not, isn't necessarily bad. Because exactly. he's a defenseman. Yeah. yeah. He's a defenseman, which is fine. He'll probably play third-pairing minutes if he gets to the NHL. To make, like, a very poor relation, I mean, like, I kind of think of defensemen as, like, really good cornerbacks in the NFL. Like, if you're not hearing their name called, you know they're doing a good job. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's like um, with shutdown defensemen, too, that's the same thing, like, with offensive defensemen, you know, you want to be hearing their name. Mm-hmm. But with guys like Pelovin, who are pure defense-first players, you don't want to be hearing his name because usually it means he's turning it over. Yeah. I think the amount of times I, – I tried to count one time, like, for, like, one game, the amount of times he touched the puck. I think it was, like, 10. <laughs> he doesn't touch the puck. He had two warm body. <laughs> he had two zone exits, which is why I'm like, ah, I don't know what this guy can be, you know. But sounds uh sounds a little Luke Martin esque. It it does, but if he pans out the way Luke Martin did, you're taking him at 171 instead of like 50 something, and I will never forgive Ron Francis for that pick. That selection was horrible. <laughs> The second round was just whack in that draft. East Italusterinen's at least like a halfway decent, you know, depth. Yeah, player he turned out all right. But like, eh. I'm skipping over the goalie at 188 because when I talked to uh, Josh, the head guy at Smart, he was like, "I didn't watch this goalie, so we'll move right along there." Uh, I just, I just took him because he's big. At 205. That's bread oh, here and butter here. Here we go. We took. Yeah. Wait, Matt, make sure you get on your soapbox first. I, I, I'm actually sitting on it. I've been sitting <laughs> on it the whole time. Um, at 2.05, I took from the Portland Winterhawks, Marcus Wen. Um, 
I've talked about him on this podcast. I've talked about him on my other podcast. He is my absolute favorite player from the WHL to watch this year. And that includes watching Matt Savoy. I think Matt Savoy is a way better player. But I think with Marcus, the, the type of player he is could translate to the NHL if the chips fall right. He's quick, a fantastic decision maker. Um, Austin, my co-host on the Smart Talk podcast, he and I agree that he's so good at creating offense from defense where he'll take the puck. All of a sudden, he goes into transition. Wait, is he a defenseman? No, he's a forward. Okay. But he, he's a sneaky good defensive player. He actually played more. He had more penalty kill minutes and power play minutes this year uh, for Portland because Portland did a lot of their scoring by committee. So didn't get a ton of ice time, which is always going to make a player fall because their production is going to low or be lower, especially in the WHL. I think with the amount of skill, speed, and hockey sense this player has, it's a no-brainer Kings pick. So why, why is he ranked so lowly then? What, what is the consensus knock against him? Small, not a ton of ice time this year. Like he had 12 minutes, and so for a lot of people, like they're not going to watch him because you know he got 12 minutes of ice time. He can be a little inconsistent. I think when he's on his game, he's one of the best players on the ice. It's just, it depends, you know, it depends. Are you getting 11 minutes of Marcus when, where he's, you know, in the defensive zone or the back half of the neutral zone, or are you getting, you know, a game where he'll actually be able to make plays in transition and actually carry the puck. Matt, I'll make you a promise. And Alex, Alex can be the witness on this. If the Canes select him, I'll buy you a Jersey. I'll chip. I'll chip in on that. Oh, don't tell me that. I want to help you out if, if the Canes end up taking your guy here. <laughs> so it's actually funny if, if if they select him. I'm actually going to probably go to Dev Camp anyways, just because it's right after the draft and I work like ten minutes from the arena. But like, I'm going to talk to him again. That if dude, <laughs> if they, if they get him, I'll do whatever it takes to get this guy on the pod. <laughs> I. I will not take no for an answer. So we, I love this player. I think especially at 205, you're looking for players that just have some semblance of NHL skill. I mean, you know, I look at the the bar being on the floor with like Philly Rassinen, 2017 Kane seventh rounder that basically stayed in the, he was, so Paul. What a legend. For context, he was the seventh defenseman on, uh, the Chicago Steel is a draft plus two. <laughs> Did they just throw names that were left over into a random name? Selection? I still think he's made up. Um, <laughs> I'm still not convinced he exists. He's Taro Sujimoto the, for the Sabres? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, at the quite time, literally. our finished scout was Yoni Pitkinen. And Ron Francis had, like, ungodly levels of trust with this guy. Um and granted, I mean, Listerinen panned out okay. Kuokkanen's at least like a depth NHL player. That Aho um, guy turned out pretty good. Aho wasn't him, though. That was Robert Cron. Okay. Uh, okay, that makes sense. Wait, who's this Aho character? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I think he plays for the Islanders. Um, um, is uh, Kalinin a, uh, a Pitkinen guy? I think he was just 2016 and 17. 
Okay. Maki Niemi. That was the other one. Oh, that that's a good one. I'll accept that's that. That's at least been okay. Uh, jury's still out. But yeah, like, he's... There's worse players to take than Marcus at this point. I, I'm shocked that Central Scouting didn't rank him. But again, he's 5'10". If he was six feet tall, he would have been a top 100 player in Central Scouting. That's just how it is. The last player I have is Cedric Gwindon, uh for Owen Sound. I don't know if you've watched him at all this year. I think we ranked him like 122nd. Yeah, I caught a little bit of him this year. Obviously, Owen Sound was uh, not a team that I really kind of honed in on, I guess. Um, there are teams outside of my range where I try to watch a lot of um, just because I, I like the style of game that they play or, you know, they might have a player who I'm, I'm pretty high on. Um, Owen Salm is not one of those teams this year, unfortunately, but in the little bit that I did catch of him, he looks like a solid player. He's a player. He's a guy. This. And in the, in, the, <laughs> in the seventh round, you're just looking to take a guy. So exactly. is, is that it for your draft? That is it. The Canes had I, I, I didn't hear you call Vero. Uh, honestly, honestly, I do not know where he's ranked on the draft pro website. Um, yeah, <laughs> can't, can't really argue with Damn. you there. <laughs> okay. But okay. yeah, that's a mock draft you're getting. It, it's very forward heavy. I don't think I took a ton of defensemen just looking back at it. I took two. I took, um, Salomonson and Robertson. I actually only took one center in Gleb. Um, the rest were wingers with uh, Kaplan, Robertson, and Marcus, and a goalie. Actually, Paul, do you have any takes? How many goalies do you think a team should draft per draft? I mean, I, I think it seems a little silly not to take at least one because like goalies are such... I don't want to say they're voodoo because it's such a common term. but like Very cliche. You could have a goaltender that looks absolutely terrible one season and then the next season he's goaltender of the year. It's just, it's such a mindset and it's such a way of just how much a little confidence can do for a goaltender's game. And it's just, I'm totally comfortable if you have a guy that like your scouts have watched, you know, however many times. And like, they're saying, yeah, you know, this kid's good if he's available and you know, the mid or late rounds, take them. Or if you're getting, like you say, Matt, you're trying to, in the later rounds, you're trying to get some sort of talent that you think could project at the NHL level. And if I'm taking a goalie there, I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, look at Henrik Lundqvist, for example, right? Only one team interviewed him in his draft year, the Rangers, and look what happened to him. There's just, there's so many diamonds in the rough that you can find, not only with with goaltenders, but with any position. Who is the player that's going to make hockey Twitter go, of course, Carolina drafted this player this year? That's an interesting question. It's funny that Scott went that direction. <sighs> it makes sense, though, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, young, kind of undersized. I mean, like, depending new on New Dom Fensori. What's that? He's new Dom Fensori. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean you're, you're not wrong there. But uh, if I'm looking at it, and like like you said, like if I see the Kane selection, I'm like, oh, yeah, of course they selected there. It's going to be somebody who falls and it's going to be somebody that, you know, should have definitely went almost like an Atu Ratti situation last year where it's like they just kept falling and someone's going to stop his slide. You know, in that case, if it's the Canes, I look at somebody almost and I don't want to continue to use defensemen, but maybe somebody like Ty Nelson. I don't think he falls that far, but 
I think a lot of his skill set would kind of benefit the way that Carolina likes to draft and develop their defensemen, kind of in the same lane uh, line as Finsor. But I don't know if he falls to 60, but, I mean, there's potential. That's possible because, I mean, Ty Nelson had a good but not great year, if I'm remembering correctly, and he's small. Yeah, I got to see him at a few games this year, in person and obviously in video. I walked away from pretty much every single game that I saw, except for maybe one or two, where it was just like, eh. Like, I wasn't sold, but he didn't play bad, but he didn't play great. He was just kind of playing. And that's not a knock on him, because obviously we know that he can play and play at a very high level. But I don't know if it was just luck of the draw or what it could have been. But, I mean, he was talked about in, like, the top 20 right early in the season. And then he's kind of really tapered off to a lot of people's middle second, right? It's, again, probably has to do with the fact he didn't play last year. Um, I'd also kind of throw North Bay's system in there. That's fair. North Bay seems to, at least to me, um, especially when I was covering like all over, North Bay seems like the team where prospects go to die. They definitely do play a more conservative system where they're not necessarily giving a lot, like the defenseman, a lot of free range, I guess you want to call it to kind of, you know, go be aggressive in the offensive zone or aggressive in transition or unless it's on a power play, of course. But I mean, yeah, it it could be chalked up to something just, you know, he didn't really fit the system that well, or maybe he didn't necessarily mesh with, you know, his style of game as opposed to what, you know, they like to play. It's going to be very interesting to see where he gets selected. Um, I think there's a lot of talent there and I think there's a lot of good systems that he could fall into. And obviously the Canes being one. Yeah. Speaking of other teams that are uh, where prospects go to die. Um, I was talking with a Canes fan and, you know, I, I, cause he lives out in Saskatchewan. So I was talking to him about the WHL and we ended up talking about Lethbridge and how it seems like every top player that they've had has just been like they've had a couple top draft picks. I think Logan Barlage, there was a Pittsburgh pick there. I can't remember his name. This year it's Logan McCutcheon, who should be a really good, kind of in the same category as Ty Nelson, like a very smart, very skilled offensive defenseman that's a little smaller. Mm-hmm. And he just wasn't that. <laughs> and that's kind of, we, we were talking and he was like, you know, that's kind of the way it has been with that team where a lot of these players come in with all this potential. And for whatever reason, they, they just cannot figure it out in that system. It's, it's, it's definitely weird. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be that handful of players where it's just like, why is this not working? And there's really no true explanation as to why. It's just kind of the the luck of the draw, I guess. But hard to say. It is. So I'm not going to grill you about the 2006 Eastern Conference Final. (laughs) Thank you. It's been 16 years. I think at this point, uh, you know, we can can let it die. Um, For you, though. Sabres have nine and 16. Who are your ideal picks at those slots? There, there's so much. I mean, like, there's really no wrong way I think they can go because I think the board's going to fall in a way that they're going to have one of probably like Matt Savoy, uh, Cutter Goche, Frank Nazar. Um, 
maybe I don't know if Danila Yurov falls, um, but I think probably you could, you could make an argument for him at 16. I wouldn't hate it. Um, you're also going to have somebody um, from that top, like five or six, that's going to just continue to taper down. I'd really like to see them go after some forwards. Um, not to say that the defensemen in that grouping aren't like if Kevin Korchinski's on the board at 16, hell yeah, I'm on board for that. Yeah. I don't necessarily think that I'd want to go after somebody like uh, Pavel at 16. And that's not to say that he's not a good player, but like <laughs> even Matejchuk concluded, like I, yeah. out of the three, I'm taking Kevin Korchinski all day long. And if he's there at 16, I mean, yeah, I'm going to love that pick because I'm of the mind that, I'm hoping they got a really, really solid forward at nine. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's really going to play how the board falls. I mean, if I could walk away from it, I'd like one of Cutter or Frank Nazar at nine. And then potentially if you get one of the defensemen that you like to fall, ideally Kevin, um, if he's there at 16, then I think that's a home run. And then depending on how the rest of the board falls, they also have 28 um, from the Sam Reinhardt trade. So, I mean, if you look at that, I mean, there's a lot that you can do. If there's somebody that you had maybe like 10th or 11th on your board and it comes to like 24 and he's still there, do you offer up another pick or two and just go get your guy? So it, there, there's so many uncertainties to this draft, and I think it's going to be an absolute madhouse in a couple a couple Thursdays from now at the Bell Center. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward. I think it's going to be one of the crazier ones we've seen in a bit. And you're going, right? I think so, yeah. Nice. <laughs> Well, Paul, I think that's pretty much all we've got for you. I know we've basically, we haven't exhausted your knowledge of prospects, but I think we've we've uh, put a pretty good chip in it for now. Um, before we let you go, though, I do want to know if there's anything that you'd like to plug. I obviously know that you guys have a draft guide coming out, so this is your platform here. Yeah, so uh, our guys at the Charging Buffalo... Um we do a lot of prospect stuff as on top of the Sabres writing and uh, in news and notes and stuff like that. And we're actually going to be publishing our draft guide at some point in the near future. I don't have an exact date uh, for everybody, uh, but just keep an eye out for that. There's a lot of us there that work extremely hard. Jared and the guys there are just top notch. Couldn't ask for a better group to work with. Um, they're all super knowledgeable and they all know exactly what people want to see. And I think uh, as of last night, I think we had clipped over 40,000 words in terms of size for this draft guide. So be on the lookout for that. Um, in terms of our stuff at SMOT, I have a report on Jimmy Snuggerud for the National Team Development Program coming out in the next couple of days. So you can keep an eye for that as well. And uh, past that, Matt, thanks for having me on, buddy. Always a pleasure chatting uh, prospects with you. And just, yeah, thanks for having me on. Shooting, you were going to say shooting the shit, I think. I uh, was. Yeah. <laughs> But Paul, thanks again for coming on. And as always, folks, thank you for listening. It's a great time to be a Carolina Hurricanes fan.